Hey, you're listening to Blue Jean Church's podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. To learn more about Blue Jean Church in Selma, Alabama, visit us at www.bluejeanselma.com. meditations in my heart right now be acceptable in your sight and anoint this time with power amen yeah I just got to take a second and just say I just I love I love our family here I mean what a what a cool morning you know to highlight Matt you did such a good job of highlighting those things that's that that's that's why we're here that's the reason is that we see people come alive and and begin to know Jesus. That's that's it. And Josh and Mary, y'all did such a great job in worship this morning. Oh my gosh, you know. And and I, Rick, I think is out cooking. But but uh, we've got the best worship team. And and uh, uh, Ryan and and Greg. And uh, when Andy comes, I mean, I was really, I really was. Y'all led me into real worship. And just really funny. The the song before y'all sang, "Dance with Me." Um, I felt like in, in the worship, I felt like that Jesus had, he, he asked me, can I have this dance? And, and then y'all played that song. So I knew the Lord was speaking to me. So it's really, really cool. And communion, oh my gosh, it's so meaningful. You know, it was so meaningful. And last week I, I see Patty, Patty, I sent you a text, but I sent it to the wrong person. And they were like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I was sent one. <laughs> I, I just said, told Siri to send it to Patty, and, and it went to somebody else. So anyway, um, last week was just crazy. You know, it's what, what ha- is happening this morning, I believe really we're tapping into what church really is about. It's about connecting with the Lord and seeing his goodness. So anyway, great, great stuff. All right. Um, this was a really hard message for me to, to, to come up with. I, cha- I changed it and I went around. I was praying about it. And, and it's not an easy, simple little uh, message. This is one of those hard places. This is a hard scripture. And, but I think it's timely. And I'm not, I don't know that I'll do a very good job of explaining it. Um, but I think... You know, these are the kinds of scriptures uh, that we wrestle with and we chew on and we grow from and understanding comes. And so uh, the scripture, if you want to follow it, uh, is Hebrews chapter 12. I'll read it in the NIV and then in a minute I'm going to read it out of the message. It's chapter 12. It starts with verse 7. And that's the, that's the main focus is verse 7. And it's one of those that you're like, ugh, I wish I had an eraser and could just say, out of the Bible, but it's in here. And so here's what it says. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons for what son is not disciplined by his father 
if you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have, had, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Ugh. Right? Well, let me tell you the genesis of this word. There's been a lot of mess that's happened lately. There's been a lot of hardship. I mean, we've had the worst natural disaster in Selma that's ever happened in our history. You know, uh, people have lost jobs. Uh, there've been there've been death. It's an un, uh, unbelievably tragic death. There's been uh, cancer. I know, I know of a person, uh, Joseph, that we've prayed for. He he's in treatment now. You know, he's getting cancer treatments. They're just and and each person sitting here at some point, maybe now, have have a place of that's really difficult. It's hard. And and so that's I think so many are trying to process. So many are trying to how do we deal with the mess of life when it comes? You know? And that in and of itself is not easy. It's, it's difficult. You know, loneliness, uh, depression, you name it. Now, I don't want to be like, you know, Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh and be like, oh, Pooh, it's a bad day in the neighborhood. But, you know, life happens. Mess happens. And so as believers, how do we walk through it? What do we do with it? And, uh, and so... That's the genesis of this. You know, Jesus said this. In this world, you're going to have trouble. And you know, that's not because God's up there saying, zap, zap, zap. That would not be a good God. But for whatever reason, the enemy is not locked up yet. And he's, he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. We live in a broken world. And there's just mess that happens. And, and Jesus says, mess is going to come. It's going to happen. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So even in the middle of the mess, there is hope. And, and you know, disappointment and discouragement and, and struggle in million areas of our life. There's a way that we process this and handle it that I think helps us walk through it and not get stuck in it and to walk through it with hope and faith. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Not an easy message, not a light and breezy message, but it's one of those things, I guess, Jesus, uh, uh, Paul wrote this. He said, you know, I wish I could give you meat, but I got to keep giving you milk because you haven't grown. Well, this is one of those not milk messages. This is a put your big boy and big girl pants on and grow up kind of messages. And it's not for anybody. It's for all of us. It's, this isn't directed 
towards any person. It's directed towards me too. When I was asking the Lord, what, what, what do you want to talk about? That scripture came to mind and wouldn't leave me. And I was like, uh, I don't even know what it means. I don't want to, you know, that's one of those that I just kind of blow by and are like, you know, where you don't know how to pronounce a word and you just say, blah, 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 and you go on by it. That's one of those scriptures that you're just like, I don't want to sit down on that yet. Well, I sat down with it this week and I saw some things. I think for me, as I meditated and contemplated and, and wrestled with God about this, there are a few things that, that I want to pass on that I feel like the Lord has spoken in my heart. And I think it boils down to perspective. It, what is our perspective on the situations we find ourselves in? It's like, it's like, here we are. Here's what has happened in life. We are here. And so what are we going to do with that? We're, we're here with all the messes and all the disappointments and all the pain or whatever. We're here. And so the Lord says, what are you going to do with it? And I believe there's a choice that we can walk in, in faith, that will help us walk through the valley of the shadow of death and not stay stuck in the valley, okay? The first thing I would want to pass on, there's cornerstones, like three cornerstones of, of walking through the valley and not staying stuck in it. And the first one, we talk about it all the time, we're gonna sing a song in a minute if we have time, that God is good. He is good, period. He is good. Satan is the bad one, not God. There's a theology that has worked into uh, like a twisted theology that, you know, God won't put any more on you than you can handle. And there's a scripture that says that, but there's wisdom that applies that properly and correctly. Without wisdom, you can misapply and misinterpret scripture. You got to have wisdom. And, and the, the implication that so many people is, well, God's going to put this on you, you know, and so that you can grow up or that you can, you can learn this lesson or whatever. That's not, that's not sound theology. Sound theology is God is good. He is love. He is kind. That is sound theology. Satan's the bad dude. And so I think we've got to settle that. We've got to settle that in our hearts, that that is our perspective. In Psalm 100, verse 4, it says, For you are good. You are good. This is King David, Psalm 100, that when he got, if you all remember the scripture, he was anointed king of Israel 15 years before he became king of Israel. Saul was king. And he was on the business end of a stick for 15 years until he became king. Saul tried to kill him. He chased him. David, even he's the one that wrote in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quoted David from the cross. David experienced mess in life, difficulty in life. And he writes in the Psalm, Psalm 100, 
God is good, for you are good. You are good. And so for me, in regardless of circumstances, regardless of whatever mess life is throwing at you, there is a cornerstone that we must stand on as believers is God's good. And I don't know how to fix everything. I don't know answers for everything. But God is good. I've had to do this at some of the hardest moments in my life. I didn't do a very good job of it sometimes. I fussed. I acted like a two-year-old. And I still do. I'm, I'm probably you know, one of the biggest whiners in heaven. If it doesn't go my way, I'm, I'm fussing at God about it. Um, but I think that is a cornerstone. And you know, when, when mess happens, when it comes, when there's hard, hardship and hard, hard things, you know, it's okay to be real with God and to say, I don't like this. I'm mad about this. I don't get this. I don't know what to do with this. I'm mad about it. I'm sad about it. I'm frustrated with it. I don't know how to act. And where are you in all this? It's okay. It's okay. That's real. And God loves real. He loved David. David was a man after his own heart. And the Psalms are full of David pouring out his complaints before the Lord. But he always ends up in a place of faith. After he whines and fusses and all that, he says, but you're good. And he says in Psalm 27, and I know this, this is the guy that Saul is chasing. He's hiding in, 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 in uh, caves in the, in the mountains, trying to not get killed by Saul. And he's been anointed king. I mean, I would be like, well, I, I, I had an experience in my life like that. I got a prophetic word in 1997 that I was going to be a judge. In 98, I ran and I lost. You know? Worked our tails off. Spent tons of money. Risked a lot. And then we lose? You know, for months, I was like, well, what in the world are you? Are you some, like, you know, circus uh, guy that does puppets on a string? I mean, that's how I feel. And I would always say, but Lord, I know you're good. I don't understand, and I'm so mad. I don't really even want to talk to you for a while. But I'm not going anywhere because you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, well, that isn't anything because I've been through this. And, you know, for, for most of you, man, that would be true. But I'm a baby. I'm a, I'm a whiny thing. And so that was a bone-crushing experience for me. It was. I remember laying in bed the night that we got home from losing. I remember laying in bed, and I told Ann, I said, I know what King David meant when he said my bones are crushed. I can't breathe. I feel like there's a million-pound elephant on my chest. And so for days and weeks and months, I read Jeremiah, where Jeremiah complained, and I'd say, this is how I feel. You put me out there, and you cut the limb off on me. I don't get that. Mess happens. I've never been so crushed and disappointed and embarrassed. You're talking about shame, walking around the day after the election, picking up... Uh, signs with me and one other person and people honking the horn and you know making fun and and all that it's hard now I don't I'm not like wanting your sympathy this morning 
But I'm telling you, this is not coming from a guy that has walked in the scripture and is just reading something in a book and saying, this is what the scripture says. I mean, I'm living this. I'm wrestling with this. And we've got people that have been through the tornado. I see Elizabeth and, and so many have lost so much. We've had so many deaths recently. There's just mess happening. And we ha how do we walk through this as people of faith? How, what do you do with this mess? Well, in my mess, in one of my darkest times, I stood on the thing. I would say, God, it, with everything that I am, I want to say I don't believe you're good, but I'm choosing to stand on the foundation that you are good. And that I will see your goodness in the land of the living. I will understand at some point and that you're good and that you're going to help me through this. I got, I got a call from Meg Truman, is Cherry's sister. She's a real prophet and a spiritual mother to me. She's the one that got, gave me the prophetic word that I was going to be a judge and it was a supernatural thing. She didn't even know I had prayed that God would give her a message about it. And she got a message about it a week later and gave it to me. And it said I'd be a judge. And I was like, this is awesome. I'm going to run and be judge. This is going to be easy. We're just going to skate right in. Not so. Not so. And she called me a week after the election. She said, I got another word for you. And I was like, well, thanks a lot. And you know what this word was? She said she saw me in her prayer time on all fours. And the Lord had his hand in the middle of my back. And he pushed my face down in the dirt. I said, well, thanks a lot, Meg. You can keep that to yourself. I don't want any more words like that. And she said, you didn't miss it. It's about humility. And I said, well, you know what? Humble pie never tastes good, but it's always good for you. And I didn't realize it at the time, but that's what I did with the mess. The Holy Spirit was helping me, even in those times of not wanting to believe, of, of being mad and acting like a baby. The Holy Spirit was helping me walk in faith and hope and to stand on, on the truth that God is good always and his character never changes. You know, the rest of the story, so much happened with six years, I was not ready to be a judge when I ran the first time. But I can look back and see. I can see, I'm like King David, I saw the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, something that was hard for me to see or understand in the moment. I got perspective. My eyes of faith begin to see. And that leads me to the next point. That's the scripture we just read. You know, I do this. I'm sure y'all don't, but I do this. When I hit a hard place in Scripture sometimes, it's just like the, all the Michaelsadecs and all the people with the names, I just blow over them because I don't know how to pronounce them, right? And, and so when I hit hard places in the Scripture that I don't really understand, sometimes I don't even know I'm doing it consciously, but sometimes I'm just like, go right, you know, read right by it and say, well, whatever that means, I don't know. I'm going to have to put that one on the shelf till Revelation comes. 
Well, I dug into this, this scripture. Treat hardship as discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. And I want to tell you, I want to show you what I saw. It helped me understand a little bit better. And it will help maybe, I hope, you understand what to do with the mess better. When I read that and felt like the Lord led me to it, I read the scripture and I said, Lord, I just don't understand this. Because it sounds like you're mean and that you're up there saying, all right, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to send you a tornado because I want to teach you a lesson. I want you to, I want you to lose a job. I want somebody to die so I can get your attention. I said, that's what it sounds like. And I know that's not true. So what are you trying to say here? And he was like, well, dig in. Let's, let's figure this thing out. I said, Lord, you've got to show me what you mean. And so I started, I looked up in Strong's. I looked up Greek words. I looked in probably 10 translations of the scripture trying to understand the meaning of this. You know, if you've ever taken a foreign language, there are just some words that don't translate well, right? We've learned in Greek, Greek has three different words for love, eros, phileo, and um, agape. Well, we just got one. In French, if you say your age, you're actually saying, I have 63 years. We say, I'm 63 years old. It's not a literal translation. So in any translating that's done from one language to another, there is some level of interpretation of what it really means. And so, a lot of times, people that walk with the Lord and are have been walking and are biblical scholars, they will look at what the original text is and try to look at, the, the language and the different interpretations to get a meaning and understanding of what Jesus is really trying to say. And so I did that. And here's, here's what I found. The word endure means to bear trials, to have fortitude, to persevere, to patiently wait. It comes from the Greek word hup. A minnow? Up a minnow? Y'all don't know either. But that's how I'm just sounding it out, okay? But up a minnow means to have fortitude, to persevere, to not give up. To, as my daddy would say, saw wood. Just keep sawing wood. Don't quit. And so it's like endure means don't give up. Keep 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 walking. Keep sawing wood. It's going to be okay. Daddy would say, just saw wood, son. It's going to work out. I'd come in whining about something or fussing about this coach or whatever. I'm going to give some examples in just a second that are those where my daddy did that. Um, but it's like persevere. Okay? Hardship. I looked up hardship. Uh, I, found, I found something interesting that only three translations had hardship in it. King James and some of the others didn't use hardship. It says, uh, in, in, uh, it said like something like endure discipline as God treating you as sons. It was something similar to that. There were only three translations that used the word hardship or trials. NIV said hardship. The New Standard Revised uh, Version, NSRV, said trials, so endure trials as, as, uh, as discipline. And the NIRV 
uh, said, put up with hard times. So it's like put up with hard times as discipline. Endure the mess in life as discipline. And so I'm like, well, what is discipline? What are you talking about when you say discipline? Because that can come with a connotation of I'm going to whip your tail if you don't stop, right? And so I looked up discipline, and it comes from the Greek word paideia. Paideia? Paideia? P-A-I-D-E-I-A. You don't know either, so we're going to go with that. Paideia. All right? It, this is what it means. Tutorage that is educating or training. That's not whooping my tail. Educating, training, instruction, nurture. The essence of the word is to teach and train, not punish or punish or fuss. It's to grow us up, to mature us. It didn't, and it didn't say, you're gonna and you're gonna have hard times coming because. I want to teach you a lesson. No, hard times come. And in the hands of a good father, he will use the hard times to grow us up. I've heard Bishop Chuck say this. A tree learns how to stand in the wind by standing in the wind. That's where the roots grow down. That's where you can stand and not be swayed and torn down. It's in the stress and the difficulty and the hard places in life, as hard as they are. And I don't want any of them. I want life to be a bowl of cherries, you know? But in, in the difficulty, in the hands of a good father, he can take the messes and, and teach us and grow us. That is the essence of discipline. It's not punishment. It's training and teaching and helping us mature so that when the troubles come, we don't freak out and act like a bunch of nutheads about stuff. We can stand. Does that make sense? And so the essence of as discipline, the essence of the word discipline is really to train us and teach us. It's not to beat us. Does that make sense? That's a different perspective that's a kingdom perspective. That's what the Greek word really means. I want to read. I want to read this in the uh, in a version of the message. I don't read the message a lot. I like it, but I don't read the message a lot. It's not a translation. It's more like an interpretive story, which is great. It really has spoken to a lot of people. There's use for it. But I, when I told you I was looking at all the, a bunch of different translations, I did. I looked at all of them. I looked at King James. I looked at all of them uh, that I had on my, on my app. And this is what the message said about this scripture that we just read. Listen, listen to it. I think he's captured the real meaning of Padea. He says, instead of endure hardship as discipline, he says, God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. The trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training. The normal experience of children. 
Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off big time. For it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. I mean, that's a great translation, or I don't know if it's, it's not an exact, but it's a, it captures the essence, I think, of what God is trying to say to us. And so it's not like God did this to teach you. It's like it happened. We're here. And now how are we going to perceive it? You see, this isn't about him doing that. It's about what he can, ha can do when we find ourselves in these situations. Does that make sense? That's deep. And I'm not sure I'm, I'm doing a great job of conveying it because this is revelation to me, understanding coming to me on how to, how to walk through this, that God in his hands will grow us up and, and make good come from something that seems to be totally horrible. Yeah. And, you know, it's that scripture, Romans 8, 28, all things work for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. That's straight out of the scripture. That's what he's talking about. Not that he's up there sending tornadoes to punish or to do something or, or anything else that happens. But out of those things that happen in the messes of life, he will bring good from it. And he will grow us up in the midst of it so that there will be good fruit if we walk it out and if we perceive it correctly that God is good and he will use even the worst situations to grow us up in, in the passion translation it talks about instead of growing us up, it says, and producing fruit of righteousness and peace. I thought this was cool. It said that he will produce a transformation of character. That caught my attention because, here we go with examples. When I was growing up, and I'd come home, we always had supper. We'd sit around the supper table, and on my first report card, Miss Ezel in Bird School, it said, Bob talks too much. And, and mama and daddy were like, son, you never say a word here. Why, what is this about? And we never hear you say a word. And I said, well, I got three elder sisters. I never get a word in edgewise. And so they had to tell me to keep my mouth shut at school. Um, but we would talk. I'd come home, I'd be fussing about the basketball coach or fussing about this or the football situation or, you know, or some teacher or whatever. And one in particular was Miss Rabin. I love Miss Rabin. Miss Rabin ended up loving me, but she didn't love me when I was in school. I wasn't one of the ones that was, you know, always doing right and all that. I was getting in trouble. And so 
you know, I came home one night and Miss Raven had, you know, done something wrong. I thought was unfair and hard and she liked everybody else better than me and I wasn't one of her favorites and all that and I wasn't many teachers' favorites at that point. But, but I came home, I was fussing about it at, at how unfair Miss Raven was and how mean she was and that she didn't like me and she didn't do this and my parents just sat there, daddy just listened and when I got finished, I was expecting, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. She sounds like she's just mean and yada, yada. And when I got finished, he said, he said, well, you know what you can do in her class? And I'm like, yeah, here it comes. He's going to tell me that I can tell her off or something. He said, you can keep your mouth shut for 50 minutes and then she won't have anything to say to you about. And I was like, ooh. That's not what I expected. He said, obviously, you're running your mouth and acting like a fool in her class, and if you would be quiet and keep your mouth shut, she won't have anything to be mad at you about. And I said, yes, sir. And I did. I kept my mouth shut, and you know what? She turned out she wasn't so mean after all. <laughs> I realized in that moment where I was wanting to play the victim, I was wanting to be the victim and everybody feels sorry for me and it's, it's hard and she's mean and she was unfair and all that and daddy just held that mirror up and said, it's you, it's not me, it's not her. You keep your mouth shut. You change your behavior. I grew up a little bit in that moment. I didn't want to hear that. That's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted somebody to baby me and to say, poor you, but that's not what I got. Now that wasn't punishment, that was wisdom. It didn't feel good, but it produced character in me. There were other times, other times. Um, I remember uh, I was thinking, I was asking the Lord what I could share with you guys to help illustrate you know, what we're talking about here. And I remember working at Hammer Mill. I worked at Hammer Mill back when it was Hammer Mill every summer for four years. And, and it really basically helped pay for my college. And, and uh, one summer, my folks uh, went to the beach. Everybody, all my sisters, all my nephews, everybody went except me. And because uh, I had to work. And uh, they scratched off to go to, uh, um, you know, the beach. And and you know, I'm, I'm having to make my lunch. And I, I did that anyway. Mama never made my lunch to a hammer mill. And so my lunch consisted of two pieces of white bread, a, a thing of bologna or a thing of ham, and a rolled up bag of chips. And I'd buy a candy bar and a drink at the sugar shack at hammer mill. And uh, others would have their parents, my brother-in-law was one of them, he would have a Tupperware plate with sections and his mama would do fried chicken and you know butter, butter beans and black-eyed peas. I still give Alan Hicks grief about that. He'd come with a full course, 12 course meal and I'd come with an old brown paper sack uh, with the grossest sandwich in the world in it. But I felt sorry for myself. They drove out and they were going to the beach and a poor, pitiful little baby Bob, he was left home to get up at, you know, go into work at 10.30 at night and get up at 6 o'clock in the morning or 5.30 in the morning to go work. And, you know, it was hot and poor, poor baby needed, needed, a, needed a lunch and poor baby wanted this and poor, poor pitiful me. While everybody's at the beach playing, poor pitiful me, oh, so feeling sorry for myself, baby, you know, 
wanted to have a pity party. But you know what? I found myself in that situation. And there wasn't anybody but me. And so I had to do what I had to do. Now, that's a small thing. That's not a heavy thing. That's a small thing. But in that small thing, in that hard place of feeling sad and left alone and all that and up like a baby, I had to grow up. I was 20 years old. I had to grow up. And it wasn't fun, but it produced character. I want to share, share one about Robert. You know, my daddy, my daddy I, I didn't realize this until after he died and, and until really I became a judge, how, how wise he was. I didn't know that. But I, I hear in my mind the things that he taught me, they're all really from the scripture, but he used just regular language for it. And one of them was saw and wood, persevere. That's what we're talking about this morning is don't give up. The times when I would come in and fuss about a coach not, not playing me before somebody or, or doing this, that, and the other, you know, he would say, that's hard. That is hard. That's a, that's a struggle. And, you know, but, but you just keep sawing wood, son, and it'll work out. And you know what? It does. It did. I just kept on. I tried harder. And I did this, and pretty soon it worked out. My son, Robert, I asked him yesterday if it's okay to tell this. He had the same kind of experience in the eighth grade. You know, Robert uh, at the time was, was shorter and smaller than anybody on any playing field at any time. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're all small people. We call ourselves Lilliputians. That's uh, real small people in Gulliver's travel. We're all that. We can't help it. We're Scottish. And uh, so we're all sawed off. But Robert, Robert was playing football. And he was really good, but he was really small. And so he was being overlooked and not playing ahead of one or two guys because of his size. But it was obvious he was really doing good. And we'd come home from a game at the very first of the season, and he wouldn't have gotten to play much. And it was so frustrating. And he would be so discouraged and so upset because of his size and and because of the difficulty of that, and we'd drop Mama off at home, and I'd say, let's go to Sonic and get us a milkshake or something. And we'd ride out to Sonic, and we'd, he'd, he'd whine about it and cry about it and fuss about it, and I would too. And I would say, that's hard. It's not fair. You are better. All of that. But about, about the time we get on Highland Avenue from our house, I'd say, well, what are we going to do with this? How, how are we going to deal with this? Are we going to stay stuck in the anger and the frustration and grab on to offense and bitterness and say it's not fair and play the, play the victim game and the pit, poor, pitiful me game? And we're going to be mad at the coach or mad at this or do whatever? What are we going to do with it? Here we are. Here we are. Now, what are we going to do with this? And I said, this is hard. But I said, we're going to forgive. We're not going to pick up an offense. They're good people. And you keep sawing wood. You saw wood, son, and it will work out, and it did. And I saw him walk that out in his business for nine years. I've never seen a man work harder and with his whole heart than Robert did in his business. And to go through that, 
And it was the lessons of life that he learned along the way that created the character in him to help him walk in the places that he had to walk. And it wasn't fun. It was hard. It was hard. But instead of backing down or playing the victim, and instead of getting angry in our heart and holding on to fences and all that, we got it out and then we dealt with it in a way that, that brings character and transformation. We have to choose to look at our circumstances with a kingdom perspective because mess happens. It's just going to happen. And it has happened a lot lately. We have to believe that good will come out of this. We have to believe that. If we don't, we can, we can fall into the trap of discouragement and uh, a victim spirit that's poor, pitiful me, woe is me, and being offended at God. I know everybody sitting here has stuff happening. You know, it's not just us. I've given just stupid little examples from my childhood and Robert's childhood. And those examples, they're not about big things. But I wanted to illustrate what, what the God is trying to speak to us in these scriptures in, in Hebrews. It's like we, it says, endure. Endure or treat. It's like we have to make a choice to view the mess of life from a kingdom perspective, not a worldly perspective. The worldly perspective creates victims and weakness. A kingdom perspective is this is hard. We'll never want to go around this mountain again. I remember after the election, I said this. When I finally got to where I talked to God, I said, God, teach me every lesson you want me to learn from this experience because I don't want to ever be here again. This is so hard. I know you have mess. Our community has mess. Everybody has mess. You are not exempted from mess. It is not a bowl of cherries all the time. And so one of the things that we got to do is choose to have the kingdom perspective. I will say this, the third thing. My mama was an awesome person. She was sweet, but she was tough. She's old steel magnolia, sweet as, a, sweet as she can be, but she was strong. And she had, in a particular period of time in her life, a lot of big stuff. Daddy died when she was 61, 62. He was 63 of cancer. Um, about the same time when Daddy died and had a store, Mama was basically retired, and she had to go to the store and work and figure it out. Um, grandmama, her mama, had a stroke, was in a wheelchair. Our great aunt, my great aunt, her aunt, aunt my auntie, was, she was like a grandmother to me. They lived together. She was not great. She had to basically take care of them. We pitched in, but it was mainly mama. They lived right, their back doors, uh, backyards abutted. My sister, Nancy, her husband died at age 34 uh, from cancer with three little boys, five years old and four years old, two twins, four years old. 
um, and she was alone. She'd lost daddy, you know? And it was hard. It was really hard. And, you know, there was a lot. And mama would say, it's going to be okay. This too will pass. This too will pass. It's going to be okay. Now those, that's just common language for persevere. Endure the hardship and know that there's character and you're, you're growing and that you're not, the, the, David didn't write Psalm 23 and say, uh, as we stay hanging out and live in the valley of the shadow of death, he didn't say that. He said, as we go through it, the operative word is through. Mama had grasped the meaning of that. That in the middle of the mess, we're not stuck in the mess. We move through the mess. And one of the ways that we do that is by persevering and choosing to see things from a kingdom perspective that the mess isn't the final word. It's not the final chapter. There is good coming as we move through it. And I don't know about you guys, but that bring, it, it creates faith and hope in me that we're not stuck here, that the fat lady hadn't sung. It's not over. The best chapters are yet to be written. And Mama's life worked out. It took about six years, seven years, but it worked out. She was happy as a pig in slot with a second husband. And, you know, she was, it, it all worked out. It, it worked out. It's, it's all, she would say it's all good. And at the end of her life, when she's dying, sitting on her, her deck, when I'd go down every day and sit with Mama, she'd say, I have, I've had so much joy in my life. I just see joy. And, I'm, and I've, I even said a couple of times, Mama, it wasn't all about roses for you. And she said, I know, but in retrospect, I can see. I have perspective that I've come through. And there was good that came out of it somehow, as hard as it was, and wouldn't want to do it again. And that gives me hope. That's what, that's what the scripture is talking about. It's how we deal with situations that are overwhelmingly hard. We have to choose it. We have to choose faith. I think, too, one of the ways, another thing, is that we involve and include Jesus in it. You know, we, we're honest with him. We include him in our anger and our frustration. You know, I... I didn't know I was doing that, you know, after the election when I was so mad and I lost and I was like, I don't even want to talk to you. You know, I feel like you're just some trickster. You set me up to do this and then this is what happens? Is this who you really are? And I would say at the same time, I know you're not, Lord. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me, but I'm so mad I don't even want to talk to you about it. And at some point, I begin to talk to him about it and say, Lord, I've never been hurt so bad. Nothing's ever hurt me like this. I don't understand. I'm perplexed. I don't get it. 
but I know I will at some point and good will come out of it and it did but it wasn't easy I grew up I grew up and uh, I ate a bunch of humble pie and it produced character not always got on always walk in it but it's there I want to say this we invite invite Jesus into those places if you're in the middle of the mess right now and you're struggling and you're not knowing what to do with the pain and the confusion and the disappointment and discouragement and the mess, invite him in. Tell him. Tell him what's on your heart. Be real and honest with him, brutally, and invite him in, and he will come. And in time, there will be peace that comes. The scripture just said that. If you submit to this, one of, the, one of the fruits is peace. The last one is this, is, this is another one. This is my last one. This is number five. Sometimes when tragedy hits, and there's been some tragedy with people recently, you know, uh, suicide and, and uh, death and, um, you know, just unexpected death and all that. You know, sometimes you just don't know what to do with it. Sometimes you can't explain it. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Sometimes you just have to sit with it. And there's nothing you can say or nothing you can do. You just have to cling to the goodness of God and just say, I don't know what to do with this, but I'm standing on the fact that you're good. I know I've shared this. Years ago, a little boy, Casey boy, died at five, age five from leukemia. And for whatever reason, I prayed like a banshee for him. It got on me, and I prayed like a fool for him, like all the time. I was burdened to pray for this little boy. And I was believing God for a miracle. I had just been exposed to God's healing. I had seen personally someone miraculously healed from cancer in an instant. I'd seen it with my own two eyes. And it, it, it wasn't a bunch of religious people at a conference. It was, it was real. And it happened. And I saw it. And so I'm like, you can do anything. This is great. You can heal this boy. And he dies. And, and I got the word. I was working as a lawyer at the, at the bank, Regents Bank over there. And it was about quitting time, and I was so mad. I said, I got to go home. So I got in my car riding down Dallas Avenue, and I was just fussing at God. I was like, why didn't you heal him? There's so many people just devastated by this, and you had the power to do it. Why didn't you do it? I just don't understand. I'm so mad about it. I'm mad at you. I don't get it. And I stopped at the stoplight at Pettus and Dallas Avenue, and I hit the steering wheel. And this is what I heard. It's Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Bob. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I saw in an instant a room with no, wall, no, no room, doors, no windows, 
but no ceiling. And I was in it. All I could see was the four walls. I looked up, and I could see the face of God looking down on me. And in an instant, I understood. God was showing me that his perspective, he saw what was in the room and what was outside the room. My perspective, I could only see what's in the room. I could only see this world. I could only see these circumstances. I couldn't see beyond. And I said out loud, okay, that's enough. That's enough for now. I understand. And uh, I'm not happy about it, but I get it. And uh, sometimes, sometimes, there's just nothing to do with it except just know that God's good and know in the long run it's going to work out. It's going to be okay. Last thing I'll say, I went to a conference or check, check presentation in Tuscaloosa this past week for the Children's Trust Fund. And uh, the director of the Children's Trust Fund knows, knows me and knows us. Uh, they, they give us money for some of the grants that we operate here. And they like us because our people do a really good job with it. And um, she asked me to speak, just impromptu. She said, I know y'all been through a lot in Selma. And, you know, I just wanted y'all, y- you to speak. And I said, when I got up, I said, it's been hard. And I said, you guys that are living in Tuscaloosa, you get it. But it's hard to see houses destroyed, you know. And I said, my town will never look the same in my lifetime. And there's a loss there. But I said, you know what? We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And it's not because of who's, who's doing what. It's because of whose we are. We have a king. We don't have a prince. He's the flipping king. He has all power in heaven and on earth belongs to him the father gave it to him and the king lives in you and in me the king is here the king is in our community working for good bringing good working his purposes out even if we can't see it with our natural eyes we can see it and believe it with the eyes of our heart now that's how I deal with that. And that's what the Lord gave me about that scripture. What you got, Mary? My daddy did that over and over and over to me, and I had no idea what he was doing. And I didn't like it. I wanted, I wanted to be the victim. I wanted somebody to rescue me because I was a victim, and it, he wouldn't let me do that. And that's what the Lord is doing. We're going to pray, and we're going to end this prayer with the Lord's Prayer, okay? So just a heads up. And then we're going to sing the last song that God is good. Do we have time? It's 1042. Maybe we can skip that. Let's skip it. We'll go on to breakfast, okay? So I'll just wrap it up with this prayer. God, we come to you this morning, and wow, 
hard word. I mean, this isn't this isn't for little babies that are drinking milk. This is this is T-bone steaks kind of stuff, and it's real. It's where we are. You know, life ain't easy. It ain't for sissies, as my uncle said to me one time. Life ain't for sissies. Um, but Lord, you grow us up. You grow us up. Lord, we we embrace the perspective, your perspective, that when hardship comes and the messes that we find ourselves in, that you are working character into us and growing us up so that we can experience peace and maturity in our lives. God, I ask you to help everyone in the mess. You care about everybody's messes and all the stuff. You care, really, you care. You care about our community. You care about all the stuff going on. So I ask you to invade all of our situations and all of the mess with armies of of the living God that you would rush in and help us in all the things that are going on and that we are just declare with confidence this morning. We stand firm on it, that you're good, you're faithful, you're able, and you will bring good, and you bring good from everything. That's our story, and we're sticking with it. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your presence this morning. Um, Lord, we ask that you bless everybody as we leave and that you bless our community and help us. And, uh, And now let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with y'all and bless each one of you as we leave. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope this message has equipped and inspired you to transform people, your community, and the world through the love and power of Jesus Christ. Whether you're from Selma or anywhere you're listening from, we'd love to hear from you. Visit us online at www.bluejeanselma.com.